Let's just get right into it. I feel like you're going to give me an earful about Skype. I don't know. I just feel like who uses Skype anymore? You know, I had a friend just uh, text me yesterday, and he had like a link to somebody who's... It's just like a random tweet that was just like, you know, it's kind of hard to believe that Skype dropped the ball on video conferencing because they had such a huge lead. And I think that's so true because when Skype was new, the fidelity and um, uh, latency, low latency were just game changing. Honestly, I mean, I don't know how in the early days of me podcasting, because I, I have been podcasting relatively long for the industry, like my old talk show with Dan Benjamin, I think we were doing that in 2007. Uh, you I basically we, invented podcasting. Well, <laughs> I would never claim that because then Dave Weiner will get angry at me. And I do not want Dave Weiner, of all people, angry at me. He invented podcasting. Let's just say that. But but Skype, it was really made it possible uh, in a way for, for remote, you know, and I, you know, I don't know anybody who lives near me who I want to podcast with. So it had to be remote. A hundred percent. So here's a couple of fun facts about Skype. One, I got my start in tech working at a PR agency on the Skype client. So I was very interested in Skype and I was very interested in the hardware that Skype was like sort of partnering with. And so my job was to pitch tech journalists on covering these like new mics and webcams. And I realized when I was doing that, that this is not a good job for me. I would rather be reviewing these types of things. That's fun fact number one. Number two is I wrote a column this week about how we actually should be cutting back on video calls, like that nonstop video calling has to stop. And I, it was about audio calls, right? Like, that makes sense. Like, we should just make audio calls. We Before the, you know, what I call it, the pre-pandemic era, we just made calls. We would just be like, hey, you do have a second? Can I give you a call? We didn't say, like, can I give you a video call? Anyway, I got in touch with Skype, or I reached out to Microsoft to get in touch with Skype. And nobody wanted to talk about Skype. Like, they were like, hey, have you heard of Microsoft Teams? I mean, they didn't say that. But, like, you know, they were like, here's all the new features in Microsoft Teams. And it's like, but any stats on Skype and people using Skype for just audio calls is, like, radio silence. No one wants to talk about Skype. I, I totally agree about the video call thing. And I will also admit, though, that I'm in a position of extraordinary privilege because I I would say as a someone who does their entire job typing at a computer I have probably had the fewest minutes on video calls of anybody I know in the last 14 months because I want to change your sentence from before which is I'm extremely privileged not to work with so many people I don't I'm privileged work with, to work alone I, I don't work with anybody which is it is a privilege, I have it, to say. You know, it can be a pain when it's a bunch of chores and stuff I don't want to do. And it's like, well, there's nobody else to do it. So guess who's, you know, emailing sponsors about bugging them for assets and blah, blah, blah. And it's, you know, but no video calls. And I have friends, you know, everybody, I mean, everybody's on video calls, but I have friends. And, and I think the same thing. Now, I I have had... And always do have, I do have a fair amount of phone calls, you know, uh, you know, you got to talk on the phone. I find a phone call so much less stressful than a video call. I, I really Same. do. And I, and I pointed all these things out in the piece, especially like it, it I, I feel like right now, and I tried to make this point in the, in the column, which is that 
it's like Zooms are exhausting. And so the best, like, it's sort of like the leftovers, the table scraps that are leftovers, like, okay, do an audio call. But there's all these reasons an audio calls actually can be better than a video call. And we don't yeah. really think about those. I mean, for me, the biggest one is like, I can get up and walk around. Right, it's just exactly. And, and you, you can do some silly, stupid stuff that it doesn't mean you're not paying attention, but you can just sort of, you know, I don't know, like if you just just need to carry something from one room to another, you can do it while you're on an audio call. You know, you just need to, ah, the kid left something out in the living room. Let me just take it into the kitchen and, you know, put it on the counter. Right. And you can like motion to everyone, like, be quiet. I'm on the phone. You know, like you can't, you can't do that in the video call. Anyway, I, I love video calling. FaceTime and all other video calling is amazing. And I talk about that in the piece, but we don't need to do it all the time. Yeah. The other thing about Skype versus Zoom and the head start Skype had and should have been able to keep technically is to me, and it's a little thing, but it's the sort of little thing that really bothers me. Skype is a much better name than Zoom. I, I, yeah, I agree. You're not Zooming anything, whereas Skype is a made-up name, and it, it it's a great made-up name. It, it rolls off the tongue. It's good for a verb. You know, let's Skype over this. Uh, it and, uh, anyway. and I feel like it even – because I feel like we've gone through these phases of it becoming the verb, right? Like Skype was like, oh, we should get together and Skype, right? Like with early yeah. days of video calling, it was Skype. But then FaceTime came along, and I feel like most people were like, if you had an iPhone – Let's FaceTime. Or have you, yeah. and at least in my house too, when we had a kid, everyone wanted to FaceTime with us, right? It just became the default. Yeah. And then through the pandemic, Zoom became the default because it was this group feature. I think that Zoom really marketed the grid and the like, I mean, it's, it feels like almost they like invented it, but we know they didn't, the group, the grid, right? The, right. They're just like, hey, everyone lives in a box and this is the best way to see everybody. <laughs> it it's always makes me think of the Brady Bunch, but it's like, well, what if the Brady Bunch weren't a bunch of kids? It was a bunch of colleagues and peers. And also there are 20 of you <laughs> instead of nine. But it always looks like the opening to the Brady Bunch to me and people are looking around and everybody, you know, most of the people are poorly lit because they're lit by a laptop screen. And most of them, uh, people in my circles have uh, MacBooks with shit cameras and the angle's bad because the laptop's down at their desk. And so it's just like the most unflattering. They look craptastic, right? Was that it? Craptastic? Yeah. Craptacular. 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 Right. Every time I can't, I can't. Now I can't remember which one's mine and which one's yours. This was our- I don't either. This was our last podcast. Yeah. Well, they're both good words. You know what we should do here? Just lift the old podcast and like paste it in here and no one's going to know the difference. Uh, What do you think, uh, while we're on it, this is not on my list. uh, I don't really have much of a list, but uh, because I figured we'd just go off on tangents like this. Now that we're- pulling out of this and and you know we've gone through this year plus of the pandemic what about facetime like it it it's kind of conspicuous now that it's over that facetime really had no role in anybody's professional And I'm, of all people, know lots of people who their entire circle is all on Apple platforms. So the fact that FaceTime is Apple only isn't even relevant to this. Even if you wanted to say that, even people I know who are Apple only don't use FaceTime for for a professional video context. Well, I think 
a couple of things. I think for, for, for professional use, I totally agree. And also like a couple of colleagues that I work with who don't have great cell service will like FaceTime audio. And in fact, in this column, I said, I think FaceTime audio is just the superior audio quality. It's if you get two really good FaceTime audio connections, it's superior. You're like, are you in the room with me? Like it is, it is a crazy good quality. So I do that with some colleagues that, you know, either are upstate and living in places that they're just don't have the best um, service, cellular service. But for sure, during the pandemic, a lot of our personal contact, you know, especially the first number of months where we couldn't see my parents, we were pretty much always on FaceTime. Um, and I, I'm sure that Apple saw just crazy surges in that personal type of usage of, of FaceTime. Yeah, yeah, that is true. And I, I can actually verify that from some folks I know at Apple, that FaceTime usage spiked early and stayed crazy high. And, you know, it, it felt like a feather in their cap, like, hey, we always yeah. hoped we would be able to handle a, a level like what we're seeing, but we are handling it and it all just seems to work and nobody really thinks about it and we feel good about it. So FaceTime as a personal thing, talking to parents, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that sort of thing, talking to just uh, people you would normally have seen, but you couldn't see because we were in our, what do we call them? Cocoons, our pods, you know, um, it, it worked great for that. And that is what it was designed for. And, and I think Talking to some people at Apple, they're like, well, FaceTime just was never designed as as a business tool. And, you know, it, it still isn't. You know, we just didn't do it. I, it might be interesting to see what they do with the Mac app in the future. I think also it's so clear. I mean, this is just such a funny thing about the Mac app. And I'm sure you've thought about it. It's just like it defaults to the vertical view. Yes. Oh. It looks like the, like, phone app was just put on the Mac. Um Group FaceTime you know, still basically sucks. They've done some things through the pandemic. They believe it was iOS 13.5 where they fixed some things for group FaceTime. And then in 14, they changed the, like, you know, the bubble resizing, which yeah. was kind of a mess. But still not great, right? Like, yeah. it might be something we see at WWDC, I would assume, yeah. Know, something related. Yeah, because I think that the original group FaceTime implementation was technically impressive, you know, and and it, it's it was like, a lot of people, right? Right, it was so like, a, lo- a lot of people. I think up to like twenty seven or something. Yeah, and I, I remember. I think I remember like my tweet was something snarky, like I don't know twenty seven people. So this is a yeah, that's nice. But like but, little little before the pandemic, did we know like we would actually ever want a group, you know, yeah. video call with that many people? The the implementation was like too cute by far, though, with all of the way that people were moving around based on who's talking, and and it 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 was like. Uh, I don't know, like it was purposefully uh, trying to, to keep you confused as to which person was where because every time somebody talks. And then I think they kind of realized, like it looked cool in a demo. It was sort of like a UI that worked best on stage in the demo where they unveiled it. And it's like in practice, uh, now you kind of want something simpler and more stable where if Joanna is in the lower left corner, she stays in the lower left corner. You don't want her booping and bopping around the screen. Totally. And they, the improvements on Mac, I think, can go hand in hand with the improvements in the webcam stuff, too. I mean, it's, you know, if there's some tie in there with the improvements in quality and, I mean, you, you've 
are you still using the iMac? Uh, I am, but I've never really. I'm not using it as my full-time machine. I have it set up, and I set it up in Amy's sort of – I wouldn't call it an office, but like her little private room where she can have stuff because she had like a nice orange desk, and I got an orange iMac, and it looked really nice there. Uh, And she wanted to try it. She hasn't had an iMac in years. She's been like on the MacBook Pro style since we moved to a new house like four or five years ago and has been thinking for years that she should get an iMac for her little room – upstairs and i was like you should wait because <laughs> and it's like one of those things where it's like how can i have gotten this old and and not realize that you know what if you need a computer buy a computer stop thinking about the future you're gonna wait forever like because i thought like four or five years ago apple silicon Macs were coming 2018 you know like this is gonna happen because i know they're frustrated with intel and i know their iphone chips are already benchmarking faster than macbook pro chips so this is gonna happen and then you know we had to wait till last year what Um, year did you tell her to wait in like 2010 i don't know i didn't have any gray hair at the time so it was a long time i don't know yeah probably no i i I would say like five years ago or something like that so we've got it up there uh and and you know and it is it's one of those things that that it stuck out to me. I didn't put it in my review, but it still is one of those like, hmm, why? I, I get it with the iPhone, but the iPad, and I know it's this is like one of the most common uh, requests is how come on the Mac you can set up two user accounts and it they make it really easy to switch between them, and on the iPad you can't. Like you can't just say this is a family iPad and here's an account for one of your kids, here's an account for another kid, here's an account for uh, the parents. it's a weird limitation of iPad because I know that people have, you know, iPads they want to share with their kids Uh, and and setting up the iMac where she had an account and she could use it and give me her thoughts on, on how to use it. And then I could set it up and use it. It's like, wow, I wish I could do this with iPads. Um, Well, yeah, I think, so I'm using it right now and I, you know, I'm like world's number one laptop user kind of hate desktops. And I, I really like it. Um, I mean, that was kind of my review, which is like, this could make me a desktop person, but there's too many things that I love about the flexibility of a laptop to really do this. So my ultimate thing was like, just give me this screen and I buy that in a second from Apple. But back to the webcam, the webcam on it is amazing. Yeah, I mean, it it's really just is. so much better. And yeah. so that's one of the reasons I've kept it around back to the video calling thing. I still do video calls for important calls and I do it for TV, too. This thing looks like I don't really have to set up the iPhone and this whole, like, system I had for, for CNBC. I don't do that anymore. I've just been used the iMac. Right. So the the camera here is really good. But, again, the FaceTime is, like, FaceTime. All right. So let's do it. Let's do iMac first. The camera, to me, it was it was clearly – it was, like, step one was with these M1 MacBooks last – November. And it was, it's literally, I I believe if you go to like iFixit, the camera is literally the same physical component as on the Intel MacBooks from before, which is a real piece of crap 720p with a tiny sensor that is terrible with light. Uh, and I, I I believe you had have had some comments on the old MacBook keyboards over the years. And with the M1, 
they have the same crappy camera, but piping it through the M1's image signal processing, they really cleaned it up and made it a lot more useful. And famously, or at least famously between me and you, I used it to go on CNBC with you when the M1 MacBooks were new and and it created a kerfluffle because people thought my 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 footage looked better than yours, but it's you know. true. I'm still living that down. But <laughs> But it was improved, but it still wasn't great. That's the main thing. It it it's still it's like they cleaned up the noise and the color and definitely were doing something to realize that, hey, the only thing that really matters are people's faces in front of this thing and, and clearly their image signal processing was optimized for that. But it still was kind of muddy, right? In terms yeah. of it, it just I mean was, it's still really crappy. Like right. I, I mean, even in the comparisons I did of the thirteen inch MacBook Pro and this new iMac, it's like yeah, it's like looking at a um, like a blurry photo. Like I, yeah. you know what? It's like remember when photos would you use like AOL and they would like take a while to load and they would be super blurry and then they'd come into focus. Yeah, yeah, progressive, progressive JPEGs, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's it. That's what the webcams are like. Yeah, like this new iMac. Everything is so clear. Yeah. Every, like you can make out what's in the background, which is a bad thing for me right. because it means I have to clean my office. Like it, it's. It's substantially improved. And to your point, I didn't get to compare it. I don't know if you did. Well, it doesn't sound like you did, but they used the same camera hardware, the same 1080p module in this new 24-inch iMac than as they used in the 27-inch iMac from last year. No, Um, I didn't know that. Yeah. And I mean, I didn't get to do side-by-sides, but I don't know. I just felt like this new 24-inch iMac is just one of the best webcams, period, that I've seen. Yeah, that's what was my question for you, is how do you think it compares as somebody who's done much more comparisons on this stuff? So it's clearly the best built-in camera Apple's ever shipped. The combination of actually better 1080p camera hardware with the M1 image processing, now you've got two things that are better, better hardware and better image processing. But how does it compare to like a the 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 standalone webcams that people have been desperately fighting in the black market for over the last year because they're they're all sold out. I mean, it compares pretty well to a a Logitech 1080p webcam that I have. I would, I don't have one of the 4K ones. I've not gone down that far, but, and I don't even use the Logitech one usually when I set up. I I really like to use the, um, I use the, I use um, an iPhone a lot of times when I'm right. like doing an actual hit because I'm like, okay, I have the flexibility of the three lenses. I use that camo software, which is great and just hook it up. It's, I mean, it's a little bit clunky, the whole experience, but it, it works. Um, and definitely compared to any built-in laptop that I've tested, it's way better. And that's, you know, has to do with Windows and Chromebooks and I mean, definitely Macs. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think about the chin? On the iMac, because that seems to be like I I I was skeptical, and I, I wrote in my review that I was anticipating that new iMacs would just get rid of this chin because they wouldn't need it; they could just put the computer behind the the, the display. I just didn't think they would try to make the whole thing so crazy thin. And then I, you know, it's like, oh well, now we have this chin, and it's uh, I don't know what that's going to look like. And then once I had it set up and I was in front of it, the chin just disappears. I, I honestly, and I, some people complained like, oh, you know, it, it's 
you're just saying that because you don't want to say bad things about Apple products. It's like, no, I love to say bad things about Apple products. I just, I'm telling you that when I use the iMac, uh, I, I, the chin just disappears for me and I don't notice it. I, it was like, to your point, I was jarring at first when I took it out of the box. I was like, I did not notice this during the presentation. I was just like, ew, right? Like I was kind of like, ew, I don't know why this is there. Over time, I think I was more upset, and I said this in the review, I like the colors of the back much better than this pastel color of the chin. Yeah. And that was, like, I just don't, I mean, maybe I don't like pastels. I, I think in my review I called them sort of bridesmaid dress colors. Like, <laughs> I, That's so true. Like, as, and maybe from, like, the 70s, like 70s, from 1970s. Oh, yeah. And then, like, I, yeah, I was telling you, like, the other thing is I have the blue one, and, like, it looks like I'm, like, at a baby boy's baby shower all the time. Like, yeah. it's just blue and white, and the white, I, to me, I was more, I, I, I know why they did the white bezel. I get it. Like, walls are white, and it blends in, but I'm just so used to, like, a sleek black frame around a, a really beautiful screen. So, I look, I don't, I'm fine with the chin. I, I definitely gave them... Yeah, I, I wrote about that a little bit and mentioned it in the video. And actually, in the video on that part, because I was comparing it to the the G3 Mac, and I pulled a quote from Steve Jobs when they, he was introducing the first one, where he said, the front of the, or the back of this one looks better than the other guys, which the other guys were PCs at the time. But, you know, in this context, I feel like the back of this iMac looks better than the front of it. Yeah, well, no, that was the quote, is that Jobs said that the back of the iMac looks better than the front of the other guy's PCs, you know. That oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, so, right. yeah, that's the exact quote, right. yeah. You know what? That's a good point, though. And and my wife had the same observation, and that that in her setup, if she were to buy one, and she would get the orange. She really likes it. Um, and like I said, she has this orange desk. It would be perfect. But like she said, the the best part of the orange is the back and in her setup, which I think is probably a, you know, the most common setup, it's, it's effectively against the wall. So you exactly. kind of never see it. So I, I know, and Apple had all these demos of like, well, you could set it up as a retail kiosk or like, um, you know, like if you're checking in to, uh, a doctor's appointment or a salon or something, and that the person at the check-in has an iMac as their their thing, then you, you the customer, see the back, right? And there are definitely places where you see the back of a display, but not in typical home scenarios, no. right? And, and there's also... Right. there's Like the if you're working in an office, like an open office space, right. and like all the monitors are lined up. Right. Yeah. I mean, same as me. Like I'm sitting against the like a wall in my office and I'm staring at the baby boy blue baby shower. Right. And let's just say like purple is your favorite color and you're so excited because now Apple, you know, after 20 years has gone back and made like a really awesome purple, not like a little purple, but like, you know, Minnesota Vikings, capital P purple iMac. And you you set it up and your desk is putting it up against the wall and you never get to see, <laughs> you never get to see the right. good purple. You get to see this sort of lavender that looks like a sweet tart or something. What's the deal with the purple, John? Like what's, come on, like they release this purple iPhone and the world goes crazy. Am I missing something? All right. Here's what I think. And I'm, you're asking, I think as an observer, I'm right. But as somebody who could have picked the color, I would have been wrong, is that there's, there's like a trendiness in colors 
and Apple has like a team who are like uh, trend spotters who either are helping to define the colors of the year or are, are, have like their finger on the pulse of fashion and style and, and trends and pick it out. But there is somebody, and somebody told me this when they announced it, when they announced that purple phone, they're like, this thing's going to sell like crazy. And I'm like, it looks cool, but what do you mean? They're like, oh, purple's the color of 2021. And I'm like, it is? And they're like, yeah. What? Yeah. And, th- and this was the thing, like, I couldn't believe the coverage of it. Like, I yeah. just couldn't. And I was like, this is what's wrong with media. Yeah. <laughs> like, so It's a color. So uh, I got a haircut yesterday, and my stylist asked me. She knows what I do. Uh, you know, she's not a nerd, but she asked me about, you know, what are, the, what are the cool new features of the new iPhone? And I'm like, well, there's not really a new iPhone. She goes, yeah, there is. And, and she couldn't believe I didn't know it. And she goes, the purple one. And I'm like, oh, well. Man. Oh, my but gosh. That's, but that, you know, like she knew that's about the amazing. purple one. She knew about yeah, the purple the ads, one. because the ads. There yeah. ads, the crazy ads for the purple one. Yeah, and she just assumed it meant it was new and had cool features and stuff. Because she, and she thought, and she even said, I, I think I'm getting that one. And I was amazing. Like, yeah, I, I mean, like, this is like the Apple marketing machine is just amazing when you think about it that way. Yeah. And they were all over the rose gold thing early a couple years ago. You know, that. Oh, rose, yeah. And now that ro- rose gold is gone. It's out. It's, no, gone. it's out. <laughs> I wrote it into a script for my piece for next week, actually. And I was like, I'm not sure this is going to land. Like, I'm not sure, like, people remember rose. I mean, they remember it, but like, it's not in the it was a thing. Well, and the, like just like the gold iPhone was the first like a thing. And the other factor is that it it's like T minus five, four, three until Samsung comes out with a purple phone. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Well, I've always been like fascinated by like the colors because it seems like it's always a marketing thing, but. It, like you said, very, very specific and carefully selected. And for people that are listening, we go to these briefings where truly they talk about the colors of the phone sometimes. I'm not even just talking about Apple here, Samsung, yeah. other yeah. gadget makers, as if it was a science. And the mm-hmm. engineering and like the development of the color is in, as important as some other new feature. I remember very specifically. I don't go to lots of briefings for non-Apple stuff, but I was at I was I went up to New York a couple of years ago for a Pixel thing with mm-hmm. Google, and it was uh, I really enjoyed being there. It was I don't know if you were there. Uh, you must have been there because it was New York. Maybe we even had lunch afterwards. I don't know, but it was the one where they had the basketball hoop in inside. Do you remember I don't that? I think I went to that. Yeah, uh, they had this weird loft space, and they had a basketball hoop, and they wanted to. Um, it, it was like for something about testing one of their products for fitness or something. And I was like, "Hey, basketball is the only sport I'm any good at. I can do it." And they're like, "Oh, you're too late. It was already. It's over because uh, somebody got hurt." <laughs> And they stopped letting right. people shoot the hoops. And I was like, oh, come on. I, I was like, let me shoot a couple free throws. They're like, no, 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 that's close. But they, they'd spent so much time talking about the color of the side button on the Pixel phones. Right. Yeah. It was like and, a, talking about the specific shade of orange, peach, and and this like 500 words about it. And it's like, I do think it looks kind of cool. And it's a unique look to just have this like pop orange on a white and otherwise like white and black phone um but you know it's just orange right right and then they've got things like 
oh so orange and yeah. or I don't know if that's what that one was called. Yeah, and but, Sage and but this is like that's Google, but like Samsung's like I don't want to say ten times worse, but worse. Like they <laughs> they also will talk to you for a long time about the color options. Uh, all right, let me take a break and thank our first sponsor. Got to got to got to get going on the business aspect. Oh, I love this sponsor. This is great. They sponsored my website last week. They're sponsoring the podcast now. It's it's a game called Song Pop Party. It is the biggest music trivia game in the world, and it is now on Apple Arcade. It is, in fact, the new Song Pop Party is exclusive to Apple Arcade. Basically, it, it's a bit like Name That Tune where if you want to play against people, it starts playing a song and you have like a list of four options of like, oh, who's the artist? And the first person to tap the correct artist is the winner of that round. They have tens of thousands of songs and you have to guess as fast as you can, but it's the real songs. These aren't like samples or or like covers. Like it's the real songs. They've got the rights to the legit hits and they've got new stuff. I've played, we played over the weekend because I like to test the sponsor stuff. I don't know any new music. <laughs> I don't, the one I got, only one I got right was John Legend and I didn't know the song. I just know his voice and I, <laughs> but I'm really bad with that. But if you get me going on the eighties, I, I can, I can compete pretty well. So they've got like a library that really, really works depending on whether you want new music or you want to go to the seventies or the eighties or the nineties or something like that. They've got all, I mean, literally tens of thousands of songs. They've got all the genres you want, rock, hip hop, country, eighties, everything you want. You can play solo or arena mode against strangers online, randos, or it, the best mode, the one where it really shines is in party mode. You can play up to eight people in the same room. Uh, For example, and because it's an Apple Arcade game, Mac, iPhone, iPad, and Apple TV, and this is where like Apple TV as a game thing is really awesome. Um, And you can even play with the Siri remote, including the new one. Uh, The old one, I guess, works, but I, I don't know. I think everybody threw their old Siri remotes in the garbage. Anyway, every platform... It is native on the M1 on the Mac. It also works on uh, the old Intel Macs, your Apple TV. Everything syncs automatically, so you can take a game from one Apple device to another. And because it's on Apple Arcade, there are no ads, no in-app purchases, never asks for an email, never asks you to sign in, never tracks anything. There's no data collection at all. Apple Let's and I, I maybe they even demand it, but Apple lets game developers for Apple Arcade gather zero metrics and data about you. It's privacy first. I don't even have a URL to tell you because it's Apple Arcade exclusive. If you already have Apple Arcade or you subscribe to Apple One, you can just go to the App Store and download Song, Song Pop Party. And if you don't, you could, if you really want to try it, you could sign up for a demo of Apple Arcade or Apple One and get it there. But if you do have Apple Arcade access already, it's a no-brainer to try this. If you have any interest in a fun party game, it's a lot of fun and really well done. You know, it's polished and looks great and everything like that. So my thanks to Song Pop Party, get it on Apple Arcade. Uh, what I else? love that that's the name of the app and they, you have to say it so many times. Song Pop Party. It's a good name. You did a good job. You did it's a, a good, good job. It's a good name. Uh what else about the iMac? I, I, what do you think of the keyboard? 
I like the keyboard. I mean, I love the fingerprint sensor. It's loud. You know, it's yeah. one thing I realized is like, I can type, well, I can type quieter on my MacBook Pro keyboard now than I can on, what is this, the Magic Keyboard they're both called magic keyboards. I don't know. It's a branding thing at this point. Uh, right? Everything's a magic keyboard. It's a magic everything's keyboard. Magic about yeah. it. Yeah, that's my biggest complaint. I love the like feedback, and I've actually like really, I, I I've now gotten used to the desktop setup. So the fact that I have the I've been using the trackpad, the magic trackpad, and the keyboard, and I like it. You know, I, I miss a lot about my laptop setup, but I like it. It's just loud. Um. They did give us, I I assume every reviewer got the same kit. They gave us both the mouse and the trackpad. And it's funny because I've gone laptop only over the last few years, too, for various reasons. Uh, And I I used to be a diehard mouse person on on the desktop if I had a desktop setup. And I have to say that it's like I finally have been laptop only long enough where a mouse feels a little weird to me. I agree. I did go through this thing a couple of weeks ago where I tried to, well, I didn't try. I need to convert myself from just sitting at laptop and with a big monitor to a more of a desktop setting because it's just really bad for my back. And I feel like ergonomically it's been bad for me because I've been sitting at this desk for so long. So I already was trying to move to a, a keyboard accessory and external mouse. And I don't know. I was using a Logitech mouse. So I, I like, like, I mean, there's a lot of things about the Magic Mouse that I just don't like, but there are certain times where I'm like, it just feels nice to push this mouse around. Yeah. It is. A, it's a very opinionated mouse. And I know everybody loves to complain about the lightning hole on the bottom. And I did. I it, did. I really made a thing about it this it year. It is goofy. I know. I know. It is. But my, my defense of it is you can't make a mouse the shape that it is with an exposed lightning port. You'd have to make an all new mouse. Now, they could make maybe that's the answer. They should make a whole new mouse in a different yeah, shape. Yeah, they should make a whole new mouse. Like like for example, as we'll get to, you know, in a bit, they 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 did a little bit more than just tweak the Apple TV remote. They made an all new remote. But that's if if somebody at Apple really thinks this shape and fundamental design, where the clickable area goes all the way down to the tabletop, there's no room for a lightning thing. And I also subsequently think that they really don't want. I don't know why. I don't think they want people using the mouse plugged in for some reason. And it doesn't take long. I. I it is weird though. And yeah, I agree with you. They don't want you using the mouse plugged in. And I complained about it and I, you know, made some jokes about it in the video. I think for me, it's just, I, the, the mouse is so narrow and flat that for me, I just, I like the, how do I say this in a way that doesn't sound bad? The, I want to use the word girth, but I don't want to put this in the <laughs> sentence because I think it's just going to come out really bad. <laughs> it 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 demands a certain mouse grip, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And that feels good. Like when you have a mouse that is like you are actually holding. This thing is so flat. Yeah, and so my son is you know, is into gaming PCs and has a couple of mice now. I guess a couple of them from Razer. And the Razer ones are the gaming mice seem to be more like how I traditionally grip a mouse, and, and I have. Are they still giant? 
Yeah, they're well, they're not giant, giant. Like I, I feel like there was a time like when it, there was like a long time when when the debate was, hey, Apple mice only have one button, and PC mice have two buttons and a scroll wheel, and that's better. And it's better to just get one of the PC mice and plug it in your Mac because the Mac will recognize the other. And blah, blah, blah. Two buttons versus one button. And then all of a sudden, the world went to like 10-button mice for power yes. users and gamers. And they got enormous. <laughs> you know, it's like you have Huge. like a- I And mean, that's what I'm asking because I remember when I was doing laptop PCs and desktop PCs reviews, I would get all these accessories. And the mice were huge. And they had all these but- programmable buttons and you know, also they were also awesome because they would like turn different colors and stuff. But I never could remember which one to use, and yeah. they were huge. They would just like take up half the desk, like the half the yeah. mouse pad was the mouse. Yeah, but you know, and Jonas is only uh, you know, you can, I'm going to say only, and you're going to go. I can't believe he's that old, but he's only 17, so he's still so his his mind is still <laughs> fluid, and he's he's easily adaptable to to new things. But even he thought when I had him try the iMac, he thought the that the that the Apple mouse it just is not compatible with the way he wants to grip a mouse and every time he tried to use it it it's like this is just so weird to grip and it's clicking when he doesn't want to click and stuff like that but I know some people love it I don't know I, I I've gone full trackpad though and the other thing for me is that I, for me a mouse is always better if you have to drag long distances right like the trackpad the the downside to the trackpad lifestyle is if you want to drag like a file in the finder from the upper upper left all the way to the trash can in the bottom right. And it's like, oh, I've run out of space on the trackpad. What do I do? Uh, it's like it never happens with the mouse. And when I was doing graphic design work, either full-time or you know, a large part of my, my daily life years ago, I would have never, ever wanted to use a trackpad. I'd want a mouse because it's like you're dragging things corner to corner all the time and, and with more uh, more precision. But for what I'm doing, writing and just clicking between tabs, I, it's like my mind just goes to a trackpad. Yeah, same. It's funny. I went to go interview a guy a couple of months ago. He was I did this piece on vaccines. And anyway, I ended up in this guy's house who was booking all of these vaccines for elderly people. And he had two iMacs and he had, I think it was probably like I want to say like three or four magic mice on his desk. And I asked him, I was like, what's going on? Like, why do you need these? He's like, I mean, this guy is a programmer, engineer. He just was always at his desk. And he's like, well, when, when one dies, I just swap the batteries or I'm charging and I have another one. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and yeah, he had like, I mean, he was a big sort of, uh, he was very organized, very organized <laughs> about everything he did. And I mean, did amazing things. I think he ended up booking a couple thousand appointments for people getting vaccines. Sort of amazing. I do think, and, and I, I said this on my show last week with Marco Arment. Like, I don't want to throw Johnny Ive under the bus, but they're, they're and you never know because Apple doesn't explain who who decided what. It's always Apple did this, but it does seem post Johnny Ive. And if you figure that they're on, you know, twelve to eighteen month look ahead cycles for everything they're building. It just seems, though, that now that Johnny Ive has been out of Apple for a few years, we're starting to see maybe some of the things that he was hung up on. And now that it, I, I'm going to say, like, the, the Apple TV remote is a Johnny Iveism. Mm-hmm. And now they've gone mm-hmm. back. Um, 
So it was on my mind when they, you know, when it was clear that they were doing new IMAX, like, I wonder if they're going to redo the mouse. Is this mouse shape a Johnny Ive thing where he's like, you know, you don't have to charge it. It's so light and airy and, you know, it, it's it just, you know, this top surface forms, you know, molds into the tabletop. Um, it, it was that, or, you know, it's it, this would have been an opportunity for a new mouse shape. And nope. Well, yeah. And I would say the same of the keyboard, though, like, you know, for when you look at the keyboard, it's like, okay, they lifted the touch ID from the iPhone, what, eight, and just put it in the corner. And then they changed the color. So they did some changes here. The the keyboard's definitely new. The mouse is just a new color of aluminum. Right. But they did some, you know, they they did change these things. I mean, yeah, obviously, it's not a full... Just the color swap back to our yeah. conversation about colors. And I like that their colors match and it's a really nice touch. Yeah. Uh, I'm used to, as somebody who's had been using a Touch ID MacBook Pro, I guess since they came out, I'm used to Touch ID on the Mac keyboard. And so it it didn't feel weird or unusual to me to, to use the iMac keyboard and just go to the top right corner of the keyboard with my index finger to do all the Touch ID stuff. But I was actually, even just before we recorded this today, I was chatting with some people on Twitter about, well, why not Face ID? Why Touch ID instead of Face ID on the Mac? And I... What was the answer? Well, I don't know. Nobody, you know, again, Apple doesn't explain stuff like that. I mean, one thing I could think of uh, before was the aesthetics of it, right? Like, they're not going to put a notch in the Mac. Like, it just just wouldn't work. I, I mean, it would be... Whatever you think of the notch on the phone, I don't think it would look good on the Mac. So it would have to go in the bezel. But if they wanted to have this white bezel, then it would be like not just a little tiny hole punch in the middle for the one Mm -hmm. camera. It's like you'd have this whole oval up there. I guess, though, then they could, you know, you could say, well, then don't make it a white bezel, make it a black bezel. Then you could hide it in there. I think, though, that. There's a a security, a scam aspect to it. Obviously, there's a security aspect to all of these biometrics. But I think that there's a scam angle to it where it's like Apple doesn't talk about stuff like this because it's unpleasant. But I do think that there was this whole like by the tail end of touch ID phones, there was a, a sort of cottage industry of scam apps in the app store that would have in-app purchases that would come up at unexpected times. And I, I've heard the story from a bunch of people and I've read, you know, there've been reports of it and people are like, they don't know what it is. They didn't expect it. They don't want it, uh, uh, an in-app purchase. And Years of iPhone use trained them. If you ever get in caught in a situation where you don't know what's going or the app seems locked up mm-hmm. or whatever, hit the home button and you'll you know it's an escape hatch to go back to the home screen. Well, if you're if you're facing a in app purchase prompt mm-hmm. and you hit the home button with your it thumb, it it's like ka-ching. <laughs> And now, Interesting. Now, and I know that – I don't think it was – I don't know how big a problem it was, right? I don't know how many people got scammed that way, but definitely people got mm. scammed. And there – I've never verified it with anybody, even off the record, but I'm, I'm nearly certain from hints that I've gotten that they recognize that the confirmation of a payment with a Face ID iPhone is a little bit more – onerous 
than Touch ID was, right? So if it's an honest app and a thing you really want to buy, just putting your thumb on that sensor was is was so easy. Now right. you have to hold the phone and the face ID part is pretty easy if you're looking at it, but you've got to do this sort of sort of weird double click of the side button. Right. The side button click. Yeah. Right. Confirmation. But, but the side button click cannot be faked by software. There's no access that there's no way there is no API mm-hmm. that an app can use to simulate a fake side button press. Right. It and, needs the hardware verification. Right. And and making it a double press means that somebody who's like, I don't know what this is, I just want to turn my phone off and clicks it mm-hmm. once, it's not going to happen. So it, it and I Interesting. Th- I think that's the problem with Face ID on the Mac is that there would still need, like for unlocking your Mac, like just sitting down in front of it and you hit the space bar, it would be, or, or click anything or just, you know, wave in front of it or whatever. Face ID would be fantastic. It would just unlock your Mac and authenticate you and say, okay, I recognize you, Joanna, you're in, you're unlocked. But for purchases, you would need some kind of secondary confirmation. And what, see. on the Mac, what would that be that can't be faked by a malicious app? So if it's just like a regular keyboard key, like, oh, press return. Well, apps can, can simulate a return key on the Mac. Mm-hmm. You, need, you need to have like a, a special key on the keyboard, like... That, that can't be simulated by software. Well, once you're talking about that, you're talking about the Touch ID button that they have now. That is the special key. So why even have Face ID if you need a special ID button anyway? And anything on screen, if it was like an on-screen button that you had to click that says confirm that you'd like to purchase this, I think that there's just ways that apps can can fake that, right? That they can like just fake the button press or put something up over it and you think you're clicking this thing that's over it, but it's actually the click is going through to the authenticate. I, I think it's about scams, but I don't know. It's really, first of all, I never really thought about any of this scam stuff. So now I've written this down as a story idea for one day. It's crazy. I never really thought about it, but it makes total sense. Yeah, right? you should, like, you, And you, lots of people must be dealing with this stuff. Yeah, you should look into it. But what you bring up is interesting, too, because I I did some reporting earlier in the year because I was looking at the new Samsung Galaxy S21. And I was just thinking when I got that, I was like, well, you know, there's a lot of multi-factor authentication. And I think I'm not sure if we talked about this on your podcast, but the the in-fingerprint sensor in the screen has gotten really good. And it got me wondering, like, well, what's Apple thinking about with multi with multi-factor bio-authentication? And I did some reporting, and it seems like Apple's very interested in that. I mean, it seems like they definitely had teams, and I had one source started telling me they've been playing around with this for a number of years. And there was this interest, too, it seemed, to bring back the fingerprint sensor in a you know, they they have a lot of patents around the in-screen fingerprint sensor. But the question that I had was like, well, is that just to get rid of the other you know, yeah. we have an, the iPhone SE and people love that thing, that sort of home button, or is it to combine both of them? Would they want to have a phone and any other device where you'd have two, two ideas, yeah. two choices or use them in tandem? Yeah. And even what you're talking about here makes a lot of sense, right? Because they've had to have the verification be in another hardware factor on the device. Yeah. I think they must be working in that regard. And my argument in favor that they must be is that just think about the way we as human beings recognize each other, right? Like I, all I've got right now, because again, we're on Skype, all I've got is your voice, but I do know your voice and I know it's you. 
but I'd be a lot more certain it were you if we were face to face recording in person, right? And I could see you, right? It, it, we mm-hmm. we we use multiple senses, you know. It's it's how you know where you are, you know. Like you know, sometimes you can go to like if I go to my parents' home, I could recognize it by smell, right? There's just like I'm in my parents' house, you know. It, it yeah. can't be faked. So it it. I, I feel like that's inevitable, but I feel like it's it's working out those user experience flows of, well, when do you use what? Sure, you could just unlock the phone with your face, but then what do you do for a purchase? Mm. And that might be the answer for the Mac. Maybe the answer for the Mac is they will add Face ID, and it will just unlock your Mac by Face ID, but they will also have a Touch ID button on the keyboard, and if you want to make a purchase, you've got to use the Touch ID button. Right. And it I, seems like the obvious place, too, to, like, really play with this is on the, uh, well, uh, on the iPad, really. Yeah. All right. Let me take another break here and thank our next sponsor. It's it's our good friend's new sponsor, LinkedIn Jobs. Growing your business takes more than offering a popular product or service. It's essential to have the right people in place to ensure your company operates smoothly and has the potential to expand. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the best candidates for free. Now, here's the point where they say in the, sh- the notes that I can talk about my own experience uh, finding a job with LinkedIn Jobs, but I, I didn't find my job here at Daring Fireball. <laughs> I made it. So I don't have any personal experience. And as we mentioned, by coincidence, I don't have any employees either. But if I did, I, I, I would certainly be willing to look at LinkedIn Jobs. And he'd love to video chat. Yes, Yes. I would like to video chat to interview every single one of them. You can get started by posting your job for free to reach reach LinkedIn's network of, get this, 740 million professionals. That is not a mistake on my part. 740 million professionals are on LinkedIn, and you can post your job for free. You can fill out targeted screening questions to get your role in front of the most qualified candidates with the experience, skill, and motivation that you need. And then you can use simple tools to filter and prioritize the top candidates whom you'd like to interview. LinkedIn Jobs will help you hire the right people for your role. And your first job post is free, free. So here's what you do. Go to linkedin.com slash talk, just T-A-L-K. Again, that's linkedin.com slash talk and post your first job for free, terms and conditions do apply. I, a lot of people are looking for work. A lot of people are changing changing up what they're doing post post uh, post COVID. I have to say, I spend actually a good amount of time on LinkedIn these days. Not looking for a job, please, editors, bosses. I, I'm not looking for a job there, but I get very smart reader and viewer email or. Uh, friend requests, like mm-hmm. messages there. Um, far more uh, sophisticated and clear than I would get on Twitter or Facebook or one yep. of those places, or even email. Yeah, I have to say, I, I put off signing up for LinkedIn until a few years ago, but I did. And I don't use it a lot, but when I do, it is all, it, it, it's sort of like this weird alternate universe where social media is completely sane and uh, calm and like a lot more like the real world. So I got a package for somebody down the street by accident. They just dropped it off or maybe they, it was small. I forget. I think it might've even gone through the mail slot, but 
I was like, I don't know who this is, uh, but I see the address and I was like, I wonder how I can get in touch with them. And I like Googled the person and their only hit on social media was LinkedIn. I was like, oh, I have LinkedIn. And I like LinkedIn and I opened a chat and he was like, oh, he goes, uh, uh, that, you know, that's me. I don't even know what that is, but I'll come pick it up. And I was just like, and he's like, where are you? And I'm like, I gave him my address and he's like, oh, you're right down the street. And it was all, it was delightful. And now I, now I have a neighborhood friend. That's a beautiful story. A LinkedIn friend. A LinkedIn friend. Um, something bad could have happened through that meetup, but I don't want to go down there that road. <laughs> he seemed legit. He actually works at Microsoft. <laughs> of course he does. Of course he does. <laughs> Let's talk iPad. So here's here's my biggest complaint about the iPad, and I kind of regret not putting in my iPad Pro review. And I, I don't know what the answer is, but the, my biggest problem with the new iPad Pro is, okay, they've done all of this work to make it work as in a laptop form factor. And they have this nice new keyboard cover that came out last year and it works pretty great. And I think for people who really like the iPad, they love it. But once you've got the iPad in the magic keyboard cover, the camera is off to the left and it's down low, right? And so even on like a regular laptop, the camera is usually too low to be flattering if it's the your laptop is at a comfortable desk height and you're taller than the top of the laptop. But with the iPad Pro, it's even lower. And it it always makes it look like you're not paying attention to the person you're video chatting with. Because it, it looks like you're looking off to the side. I mean, most of the time I'm probably not paying attention, but I totally agree. But this is, and I will say, I didn't review the iPad Pro. Uh, Nicole Nguyen, my my colleague, did, and she highlighted a lot of this. But she also talked about how good center stage is. So what did you think about that? I thought it was great. I thought it was truly uncanny. And it, it, every bit as the demo that Apple showed during the event was a genuinely honest demo of how it works in terms of the fluidity of the panning and the zooming in and out of people jumping in. And it was, it was a great excuse to get, uh, to get my 17 year old who is a delightful young man, but is maybe not the most enthusiastic about talking to grandparents on FaceTime because he's 17 and would rather be playing video games. But it was a great excuse to, to fire up FaceTime and talk to family and get him in and, you know, have him walk in and out of frame and have the zooming in and out. It, it works great, but it's just such a weird angle. And when it's in the state, you know, the keyboard, it, yeah, you really want that camera at the top. And I get it because then when you're holding the iPad up and down, then your, your hand might be covering it and then it would be on the side. And, and you can't, it, it's just a weird thing. Like having a device too. Yeah, but then all of a sudden, you know, is two cameras the right answer? It seems that then... I think they should just move it, really. I mean, on especially on these pros, which it would be... I've always... I think I said this in a couple of iPad reviews previously. Like, I'd love to see data about how many people are holding it. Like, when, when you have the pro, if you're really just using a lot of it vertically, uh, horizontally. Yeah. Because the keyboard, if you're buying the keyboard with it, I mean, it's like... I have an iPad Pro here from two last year, I guess, with the keyboard dock. And it's always horizontal, right? Like, it, it's just, that's the way I type on it. It's even how I watch on Like, it's just, that's the traditional way. Why not have the camera on, on, at least on the pros in that location? I could see on the Air and the regular iPad keeping it vertical because a lot of that use case may still be vertical. 
Did you notice that recently, I think in either iPad OS 14.5 or I think it was 14.5, but it was pretty recent. They've, they've updated it so that when you power it on or restart it, the Apple logo is actually oriented whichever way the iPad is, as opposed to up until now, it was always the Apple logo on, on the boot was always oriented as though you were holding it up and down. And so vertical, if you, yeah. yeah, vertical. And so if you had it horizontal in the keyboard, every time you installed a software update or otherwise restarted it, the Apple logo was sideways and I was like, well, they have to pick one. You know, this is like the camera. They have to pick one. I guess they, you know, up and down vertical is the default. That, that's the official iPad orientation. And so they had to do it. And how are they ever going to make the Apple logo adjust dynamically? Because it hasn't booted yet. So how does it even know? And somehow they fixed it. I don't know how they did it. But I love the idea that someone at Apple was so bothered by it that they they committed engineering resources to let's get this Apple logo to, <laughs> to go both ways. <laughs> I love that. But, but they it, also, I don't, when was it that they made the tweak where the, um, what's the sidebar called? I think it must have been iOS 13, at, like around, I think when they forked iOS, I, iPad OS. Right. Where they really started to make the case of, hey, this interface is going to feel different in horizontal mode. Yeah, it just feels like there was this shift where they really were addressing, okay, we're really going to embrace the keyboard, the hor- the horizontal setup. And it feels like the camera's just left over. Yeah, I, and I don't know what they can do, right? If they could move it to the side. I, I, I kind of feel like you do. Like, if they're going to say that the for the pros, it, you've got this keyboard, maybe just put the camera on the side. And, and it's like, I had the idea, well, what if they put it in the corner? And then it well, when would you always- say the side, you mean on the... So it would be at the top when it's in the in the keyboard. In horizontal. Yeah. yeah. But see, I view that as the top. Yeah. Because like for these iPad Pros, it's that's the top to me. Like I very rarely am using that holding and as a, in vertical. Like even Same. when I take it out of the keyboard and I'm like in bed scrolling and looking, it's still horizontal. Like I'm really never using it like iPhone style. Yeah. I don't read a lot. I don't I don't know how to read. But like <laughs> I don't read a lot on the iPad, so maybe that's the difference. Like a lot of people who read and use this as like a as an e-reader still, like that's the default, right? Like as a book. Yeah. No, definitely. Um, and Amy loves her iPad Pro, and she likes the big one. She has the the I, I wish it were thirteen inches, the twelve point nine inch iPad Pro, and she uses it all the time. She always uses it in vertical mode, though. So interesting. And she doesn't even have. What does she do on it? She just likes to read and play games and Mm -hmm. just text. And she sits there and texts with one finger on the thing. But she just reads it. She just loves it for reading and reading the web and just doing it in a you know. She's it's exactly like Steve Jobs predicted when it came out that she she likes to sit back. Right? She's on the Mm -hmm. couch and instead of sitting forward in a desk chair doing her reading. She likes to sit in a comfortable chair and lean back and read all of her news and email and stuff there. Um, hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I, and I was actually thinking about that a lot in the case of this iMac because maybe I could be an iMac iPad person, but I'm really a MacBook iPhone person. Hmm. And that is to say, like when I'm at my desk, yeah, me I use too. a laptop with a with a screen, but then I want to leave my desk, but I still 
go to my laptop. So like at night, if I have to send a quick email, I grab my laptop or I'm on my iPhone. Yeah. But I was sort of thinking, okay, well, if I move to an iMac because I'm home a lot more and I like this screen here, well, then I might use an iPad on the couch. Maybe I go use my iPad Pro. I I do this thing where I find that with the iPad Pro, it's a it's a time sink for me. And it's not it's not a complaint per se. It's just that when I'm at my most productive, it's when I'm at my Mac by far. Same. 100%. And so like in the morning I w- wake up and I'm making coffee and I'm in the kitchen and I have my I I should what I should do is get my iPad out of the kitchen, but I keep it in the kitchen. And if I sit down and start using my iPad, I'll find like two hours have gone by and I've, I've worked and I've read stuff, but for the most part, I don't like doing my actual blog posting from iPad. And so all I've really done is flag a bunch of articles that I want to link to or write about or something, but I haven't actually done it. Whereas if I had just been sitting at my Mac, I'd have already posted two or three things. And if I instead just force myself to just use, even though my iPad's right there, use my phone instead, I will, while I'm making coffee and maybe having the first sips of it, uh, I will think I should go downstairs to my office and get to work. And it's just, it, it's not a complaint per se. It's just that, but I'll get sucked into the iPad and it's just good enough to keep me there, but I don't feel productive enough to actually do the full work. I'm sitting there like flagging emails like, oh, when I get to my Mac, I'll actually answer this email because I want to find a file in Dropbox and drag it in and do this other thing or... or and it's like, ah, I don't want to do that on the iPad. So I'll just flag emails. And it's like, it's it's sort of like the way that some people can get sucked into a to-do system and you're not actually getting anything done. All you're doing is organizing your to-dos exquisitely with tags and projects and, and you feel like you've accomplished something, but you haven't actually done any of it. All you've done is organize this exquisite to-do system. I'm the, I'm the same way on like, on the Mac, I just feel like, oh, I can get this done. And I'm still the same type of person where I'm like, you know what? This is an email I really need to think about. I'm not doing it on my phone. Even though I can type very fast on my phone and I can really like think it out on the phone, I just like save that kind of work for my Mac. Yeah, I do the and same thing. Even, even like, I, you know, it just feels like, oh, like, oh, I had to sign a PDF and send it back the other day. And I was like, I know I can do this on this phone. I know I could do it on the iPad. The iPad actually might be easier because you have like the pen. Eh, I don't even know if that was really true anymore because I like have my signature saved in preview and it's just easy. Um, but like, I know I can do that in, I don't know, a, a few seconds on my Mac. Like I'm just, I, I just feel my fastest. You've got the new Apple TV remote? I don't. Oh, you don't have it yet? No. You know what? Apple didn't send it to me. I bought hmm. it. It's still stuck in shipping. Hmm. Well, I'm, and I, I felt like you know what? I didn't want to pressure them to send it to me because I have hated my remote so much. I've 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 reviewed alternate remotes. I have tweeted at every second I can that I when I lose the remote, I make a big fuss about it. And I said, I'm just going to buy this remote, and I'll see. I'll wait as long as I have to. But I liked your review of it. I'm very excited to get it. I, I made a mistake, though, and I, I think I reiterated it in my podcast last week with Marco, where I somehow thought that you could use the 
the click wheel where you, you just run your finger around in a wheel to scroll up and down lists the way that you could on an old iPod. But you can't. What happens is if you try that, it, it does move the selection. But as you go down, it's going down and you get to the bottom of the circle and your thumb starts going up. It just makes the selection go back up. So it's like you, you're the selection, let's say you're in the TV or uh, yeah, the TVOS settings app and there's a list of, you go to settings and there's a list of like 10 sections and you want to scroll down and you start running your thumb down the wheel. It's like it goes down four and then you get to the bottom and your thumb goes up and it goes back up and it just cycles between the top four items. And I, I so... I don't know what made me think that was working, but it did. I, I thought it was. Maybe it's because I didn't try to go far enough down. I just scrolled a little bit and it went down and I was like, cool. But it really, at the moment in tvOS, it really, the, the scroll wheel thing only works for scrubbing in video. But it's fantastic for scrubbing in video because you don't have to keep picking your thumb up going swipe, 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 swipe. You could just run your finger over and you're like, zoop, I'm going halfway through this two hour movie to get to the part I want to watch. And it doesn't work for volume, right? You have the de the dedicated volume there. Yeah, the, the the wheel does not work for volume. You just use the volume buttons. Hmm. Yeah, I'm looking at your picture and your review, and I I read your review. I I think, you know, obviously the size for me was a is a huge thing. I'm also like stupidly excited about the power button. It's nice. It really is. Um, it's because sometimes you're hitting the menu button to turn on, and you're not sure if that's working. And you keep hitting menu, and then you see the light on the Apple TV turn on, and you're like, I think that's what the menu button did, but yeah, and then it takes a while to load. I'm just, I think the power button is a nice shortcut, and it's like, you know what you did with it. Yeah, Apple's always had this thing where they obviously are the, the most button-averse technology company known to, known to mankind. And like the original Apple TV remote looked like it only had like three buttons, and it's... They they love to reduce buttons, and one of the buttons they always think they can get rid of is a power button, and it's like then it all then they always bring it back. It's like yeah, you kind of want a power button, and it's like holding down something that you wouldn't think of a power button as to say that's how you turn it off. It it it. I could not agree more, and I really hope we see the power button come back on the MacBook Pro. I yeah I don't know how they could do that I but why not why not just make it a little piece of aluminum in the corner like they did with the remote and then it doesn't stick out it's not it's not like on this well that's how it used to be remember it had yeah. you had the little black yeah. uh, the little yep. silver aluminum button in the yeah. top right yep and it was bare it was you know flush with the the silver and with the aluminum and it was great yeah so here now I'm constantly sometimes you know I, I don't really restart my Mac that much, but when I do and I'm like, is the fingerprint sensor turning this on like what is is something happening here? yeah, so here's another story I've heard. I have no official confirmation of this, but do you know you how like if you power down your MacBook now and it's off and you touch any of the keys. And or press any of the keys, like the J key or the Q key, any key, it turns on the MacBook. You could just hit any key on the keyboard and it turns on a powered off MacBook. And it's like, oh, that's interesting. That's cool. But it's like, how do you clean the keyboard? Like if you would just like to take a cloth and just rub it over the keys and just sort of take off your finger grease and, and everything like that, you can't do it without turning on the MacBook. And I, it's not a the 
greatest use case because I guess while it's powering up, if you're pressing, mashing all these keys down as you wipe the grease off, it's fine. But why? What's what's the point? Like, what? Who wants this? And apparently, this is what I've heard, but I have no confirmation of. But it that feature came after they added the Touch ID button that doubles as a power button. And the Touch ID button doesn't have a power logo on it. I guess because if they put the, the yeah. screen printed logo on top, it would interfere with the sensor's ability to see your fingerprint. And because there's no button that looks like a power icon, people didn't people didn't know how to turn their MacBooks on. And they were like going to the Apple store like, I don't know how to turn this on. <laughs> I, I swear, I, I don't know I if believe that's it. true. I totally believe it. Because I'm. that's what I'm sort of saying is that I just always am like pressing the fingerprint button pretty hard to like turn it on. And actually, I think I thought that's how you turned on the computer. <laughs> and could you just... So imagine? thank you for telling me that's not because it works. Right. But it, it just seems like such a funny FAQ that no other computer company would ever right. have. Like how do you app- turn on this fucking right. product? <laughs> Like the Apple, the <laughs> company that famously makes the easiest to use computers anybody's ever made. And the one thing that people don't know how to do is turn it on. But also with the iMac, like I've, I've set this thing up. I, I mean, I don't want to say that I spent like much more than, a, I don't know, 20 seconds looking for that power button. But I definitely was like fumbling around with it to find the the power button in the back, which is the same color as the... Yeah. as the back, right? right. So you're kind of like, you know, like, no, it should be back here. Where is it? Where is it? And you're like, you know, moving this thing around. Luckily, this is very light and thin, so it's not a big deal. Yeah. Bring the color, I mean, bringing the color conversation full circle, they should do what, they, what the Pixel does, which is a different color power button. Hmm. Yeah, maybe. Maybe I do they make it two-tone power button. Yeah, I just I I I I'm in, I'm all in favor of a dedicated power button, and just make it little. Same. They could just use the same little button from the remote, just a little button up there. You could just make well, it and also I so I have bought I've I've done two things to try to fix the shitty old Siri remote. The first thing was I bought one of those cases on Amazon. This like you know, have you seen these like silicon? Oh yeah, I I've had several. They're all you've had several because they're all they're, they're fine. They're all like seven dollars. You know, yeah. But they're they, fine. They, you know, it, it makes it a little bit bigger. You can tell up from down. It's color, so you can kind of recognize it when it falls in between the cushions. But then I also bought this other one, which was actually sent to me for review because I had been tweeting about how much I hated the remote at some point. And this company called Function 101, small company, and they made this Apple TV replacement remote. And mm. It doesn't do Siri, it doesn't do voice, but it does everything else, and it's, like, big, and it has a power button up in the corner, and the buttons, it has, like, the rubbery feel, so everything, like, bounces. And I love this thing. Oh, I think I do know that. Yeah, what the name was, Function 101 wasn't ringing a bell, but there yeah, are a couple... Yeah, it's like a no-name. But it I mean, is also... No name, but, but you know. also, how crazy is it, like... Whatever you want to say about the price of the Apple TV hardware, starting at like 180, or I know they still sell the 150 dollars one. That's crazy. It's the old. It's like an A7 chip, and it only does 1080. But how crazy is it that there's a 180 dollars set top box that comes with a remote? That there's a cottage industry, not just for these seven dollar rubber sleeves, but for entirely replacing the remote control. <laughs> yeah, this is a 40 dollar remote, and it was like. The best purchase I think I made last year. <laughs> uh, but so I, I'm excited to use the new one, and it sounds yeah. like 
and the, and the thickness of it, it really, it makes a difference. Oh, I think it's so much better. I, I just love to hold it in my hand while I, while we watch TV now and I just keep it there and like kind of fit, <laughs> you know, like fidget with it, like just spin it around in my hand. It's I'm just, sure your wife loves that. You know, hold my hand. No, sorry. I'm holding the remote. No, <laughs> I, I hold it in my left hand and she's on my right and we hold hands. We hold hands. That oh, way. That's uh, beautiful. But it is. It's a, it's just a beautiful slab of aluminum that feels great in hand, and I, it just I just cannot believe that it took five and a half years for Apple to ship it. Yeah, I mean, it's ordered. You had uh, recently. I forget when what what this was in response to. Was it after the event where you had the interview with Craig Federighi? It was before. It was actually. I did do the interview the day after the event. Right. Or two days after the event, but it was pre iOS fourteen point five, where they, he wanted to talk about right. it. And, yeah, right. This was sort of instead of talking about the privacy stuff uh, in iOS fourteen point five during the event, they didn't even mention it. They instead did uh, some press, and uh, Craig's interview, video interview with you, was my favorite. And and it was crazy. This is where I really do. I, I would love to. Uh, Raz you, but it's like I just have to praise you that you got this crazy short amount of time. Didn't they say you have like you you've got like fifteen minutes with them or something 15 like that? Fifteen minutes, yeah, it's insane. You've got fifteen minutes with Craig Federighi to talk about these complex issues, and you ended up with this six minute, six seven minute video that was super tight and just like boom, boom, boom. This is great, including my favorite question which was, why does the button, it, it's like you get asked, you know, an app wants to track you. And the one button says, uh, allow, and the other button says, ask not to track. Why not disallow? Right. Why not, or do not track. Do not track. And the answer was? They have to ask. They still have to, you're asking, some, some part right. is that Apple is saying, we will not allow them to track some things, but some things are up to the developer. Right. And so you have to, you're basically asking that app not to track you. There's right. some technical reasons behind the scenes that they can't be sure. Right. Right. A like Apple, Apple doesn't see all the data flow. So it has to sort of rely and trust this developer not to do it. Right. And I, that's sort of what I was thinking, but hearing Federighi say it, it was like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Cause the basic gist is, okay, you click ask not to track and Apple can cut the app off from API access to the device identifier and the ad identifier. And there's these APIs that the app just no longer has access to. Same way if you say this app does not have access to location, then that app can just can't ask the phone, hey, where where are we? What's our GPS? It just the, the API says, no, you don't have permission for it. They can do that for these identifiers, but they can't keep the app from coming up with other schemes to fingerprint and and right. and track you even though you ask not to be. So all you can do is ask and Apple isn't willing to to make it seem as though uh, if you if you had a button that said don't track, you would expect that you can't be tracked. Right. Yeah. It's sort of yeah. an honor policy part on the developers. And you kind of get the feeling like <laughs> a lot of these developers maybe don't have so much honor. Yeah, I think that there's probably some shady things. I mean, now that I think about it, as you're saying it, Apple could have probably done, and this also goes to something else he said, which is they probably could have done a two pop-up, right? 
one, don't have this ad ID track me. And then two, ask the developer not to use other ways to track. But that would have been a bad user experience, right? Like you wouldn't. So, which is what he talked a lot about, which was that we tried to make this simple. It's a really complex thing to begin with. Ad tech is so mad and it's just like crazy confusing. We want to try to make it as easy for the user, but this is the best we could basically do right now. I read, uh, I will put it in the show notes. I'm going to make a list right here because I was going to link to it later today anyway, but I read an interesting Twitter thread today from somebody who, who works in not the tracking part, but in the privacy part of trying, trying to make things more private. I'm not even sure where he works, but he, he had a Twitter thread where he said he was just visiting his mother. Oh, I saw this about the toothpaste. Yeah. About the toothpaste. Yeah. yeah. And it's this specific brand of toothpaste that his mother uses at her house. And he'd been there for a few days. And then all of a sudden on Twitter, he started getting ads for this brand of toothpaste. And he said, we never talked about it. Nobody, while I was there, nobody ever talked about whatever brand it is. He doesn't mention it. And all of a sudden he's getting these ads. And this is the sort of thing that spooks people. But his explanation for how how is this even possible is basically, okay, He's given Twitter his email. He also has his email connected to his credit card. So he, if he makes purchases using his credit card at a drugstore, mm-hmm. that the, the purchase can be associated with his email. Then it can go into the ad tracking system. And they're like, well, we know this guy's email. He's this, you know, at whoever on Twitter. That's the same guy. What did he buy at? What did he buy at Walgreens? Oh, he bought Colgate. He said, "Okay, but he didn't buy the toothpaste. His mother did." But then they can, if any of the apps involved have access to location, then they can say, "Well, who else has been near him? Oh, he's been near this woman, and she's bought Colgate, and therefore it it all goes through the system." And then all of a sudden, he's getting ads for his mother's brand of toothpaste, even though nobody talked about it. Which yeah, is, it's just like I read his tweet. And I was like, of course, right? I mean, I guess I've been covering this for now since three or well, four or five years now, and yeah, some of the things are more nuanced. But it's like it's always shocking to me how little the user really knows and how complex these systems are. But also, like at this point, that it's like, yeah, of course, that's how it happened, and, and like how big these databases are of all of this information. But then it does come down to these very specific and like, oh, yeah, I guess so, focal points of how to make the connections between this soup, this absolute massive soup of data. But it's like, it's the same email address there and the same email address here, and that means it's you. Yeah, I mean, I, this, I did this piece, you know, a couple of years ago when everyone was really trying to figure out how Facebook, you know, it was all, all in response to Facebook listening to our mics. And I did this piece a number of years ago where it was like, they're not listening. And this is because I thought, I was like, they, how did they know I was sick? Like I went and I got like Sudafed and all this stuff. And I started getting all the ads for all, like all this allergy or, yeah, I think it was, I had like the flu or something. And I was like, how did they know? Right? Like, it was like, oh, they listening to me sneeze, all this like. And it was so clear after I just put together the fact that I went to Walgreens and my Facebook account has the same email or like basically same login, 
Yeah. And or something, right? Yeah. Some some kind of identifier. Yeah, and I think, you know, so much of the algorithms powering all of this stuff now too is just like this stuff is all being shared. And so it's not to me it's like something's like I'm not surprised that they know this about me now. Yeah. That's why I and I know it's complex and I think Apple in my opinion is making it a little bit worse to 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 be staunchly on Apple's side of this debate by also ramping up their own advertising stuff to a small degree in the App Store, right? Like they just added a new ad unit on the search page where before you even search in the App Store, now there's an ad unit there. And they say, you know, because their their whole thing is about third-party ad tracking and first-party right. tracking is A-OK, right? So like whatever you do in Facebook can affect what you see in Instagram because that's all first party. It stays within Facebook's properties. And the app store is considered first party to Apple. And that they say, you know, based on your previous downloads and the, maybe the type of games you like to, to download to your iPhone, they, they will use that to show ads in the app store to you. And none of it is it. The, the pro Apple part of this is I have never heard one person ever say, I got a creepy ad in the app store for an app, right? And in fact, most of the ones I see, and I download apps all the time, they're all just for nonsense games that I have no interest in. It's all games and I have no interest in it. And they're nothing like any of the games I've ever played. It's not creepy, right? There's sort of, uh, and I know I overuse this phrase. Neelai always uh, complains about it, that that I overuse the Justice Potter thing about obscenity that I know it when I see it. But the the legal argument about that is Neelai's argument that it's it's not a good way to do it legally. But in a common sense, real life way, I know it when I see it, is such a great rule of thumb. And I know a creepy ad when I see mm-hmm. it. And the stuff Apple's doing isn't creepy, but it just seems like a conflict of interest that they're doing this thing that Facebook publicly, to their credit, is very public. They're not just like back-channeling their complaints. They're very public that they think what Apple's doing is wrong and hurting small businesses and whatever else. But at the same moment that they're rolling this out, they're also expanding their advertising in the App Store, and they don't need – it's like of all the things Apple right, they does, don't they, need the money. they don't need that money. That is literal pocket change to Apple. So why why do it? Why not just eliminate the conflict of interest? I I just guess the to play devil's advocate, and I don't know enough about this, the, the journals had a, a few stories about it is also part of this to appease some of the developers who are worried about getting that sort of cross, losing out on the in-app ads. And so where, how do I explain this? Where the idea is that some developers are, where they stand to lose people coming to their apps is to not be able to advertise anymore in one app, right? Because you don't know as much information now because of, um, ATT because of all the tracking that's being turned off. So you don't know as much about who could download your app, right? Like, maybe I should put this in simpler terms. Let's say you are um, the maker of a coffee mug company, and you want to advertise to other people who have downloaded coffee apps. Well, you might not get that information anymore. 
So it's harder to advertise in those apps. Right. Yeah. Now, but so here you can still reach some of those people. Well, it's not for the product, it's for the app. But like, let me reverse. I do not really think through this this metaphor here. But now you can place those ads in the store, which you're using the first party data from Apple, if any of this makes sense. Yeah, I guess. it. I, I don't know. It's just all a bit... It just would be so much. It would be almost a hundred percent clean as an argument if they just weren't. If if they just moved away from advertising in the app store, right? And I agree. And the other thing too is I don't think that the search result ads are a good user experience. I don't think. Yeah, I don't pay attention to those. Uh, I just. I just. It's like when you type in the name of a very specific app. Like Overcast, Overcast. You type in Overcast podcast and you hit return, and the first result is some other podcast app that placed, you know, outbid Marco Arment for the word Overcast today on on the App Store. It's like I'm not fooled. I know what I'm looking for. I just typed Overcast. It's like there it is, the second one down. Now let me install it on this new iPad that I'm setting up. Is it that? And it just seems like so many of the ads aren't like. Uh, like if somebody just types in podcast app, okay, sure, maybe then it's a good time to 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 allow somebody to advertise on the term. But so many of the terms that that the advertisers are clearly bidding on are rival apps names, and I know that Apple mentioned this when they rolled out these ads. They specifically addressed that concern, and they pitched it as it gives small developers a chance to get prominence over the big name apps that might otherwise show up first. But what I see in day-to-day use is it's the bigger name apps that always have those spots because they've got the money to spend on the ads. Exactly. I, I mean, I, and I feel like I never really notice them unless it's something that doesn't really make sense. Yeah. Right. I guess I'm also usually, like you're saying, I'm searching for a specific app and I'm going to find it in I'm going to look for that specifically. So I'm not really usually focused for, oh, maybe there's a better solution here. Like I don't usually search for like a generic, I'd like a workout app or right. I'd like a streaming app. It's like, hey, I want Netflix. Right. But you and I are, you know, not typical. We know a lot of the apps we're looking for already. And I suspect a lot of real people do search for generic terms. But it, it's sort of like they're repeating the the. Not, maybe not even mistakes, but you could you could watch this happen to Google search results over the last twenty years. You can see how it, it, users started ignoring. Remember when the ads were in a blue box and it was kind of you know it wasn't like a it was like the powder blue from the iMac, right? It was like a subtle blue box, but they were definitely in a box, and you knew which ones were ads, and there was often only one or two, and they got less and less relevant when you were for some search terms and people just trained their eyes to go from the box you type your Google search in to underneath the ads. You would just, your your eyes, it's like you, you developed like a natural blind spot to it. And then as users got that blind spot, Google started adding more ads so that, you know, (laughs) You know, that, right. that the ads would jump down, scroll down lower to where your eyes were going. And then all of a sudden, now they've got a lot of ads. 
right? And it's like, if you showed a screenshot of Google search today for some results to a Google user from like 2005, they would be like, oh my God, that's terrible. You know, what happened to Google? And it was just like, I I can sort of see that happening to the app store now. It's like, uh, and I just think that given that Apple has taken this, we're taking on the tracking advertising industry, which effectively is the online advertising industry, it's it just adds this little bit of a sour taste to a position where I think they're 98% correct on. Yeah. And and I think you're right just about the general yes like if you're going to take this stance and and be so hard on the ad industry which really is I do believe benefiting in some really important ways and anytime I interview people within the ad industry they they seem to like I don't know if it's just you know that's what they want to say because they're talking to a reporter and they want to be like you know they don't want to sound like Facebook and say hey we want all this data but if you're going to play that role like maybe just yeah put put up the wall right yeah. just just don't be in that business right all right let me take a break here and thank our third sponsor no, another new sponsor first time memberful Monetize your passion with a membership system. Memberful allows you to build your own sustainable recurring revenue. It's the easiest way to sell memberships to your audience, and it is used by many of the biggest creators on the web. Memberful has everything you need to run a membership program, including custom branding, gift gift subscriptions, Apple Pay for payments, free trials, private podcasts for your members, and tons more. Memberful seamlessly integrates with the tools you already use, platforms like WordPress and things like that. They have plugins and stuff, so you can just hook it up very, very easily with the system you already have in place. And you have full control and ownership, not just of your audience and your memberships, but your entire brand. It doesn't really look like you're on the Memberful platform. It's just the tool on the back end that you use to set this up. A lot of the best sites I know that have membership programs are using Memberful. I have a, I probably don't even know how to count how many Memberful subscriptions I have. It's a great system. They also have world-class tech support ready to help and to simplify your memberships and to help you grow your revenue. They are passionate about your success and you will always have access to a real human when you need help. You can get started for free, no credit card required. Just go to memberful.com, M-E-M-B-E-R, memberful, F-U-L.com. That's it. Go to memberful.com. And if you are a creator and you're looking to set up a membership type thing, check them out. They're excellent. Uh what else? What else with the Craig interview? I thought that was so good. I was so jealous because I feel like, and now I'm like, uh, I, I don't know who, uh, I, I'm working on plans for a WWDC talk show. I have, I don't know what's going on yet. Um, I It will be, I guess, remote again this year since all of WWDC is remote. But I feel like 
Man. I watched so much of yours last year. I mean, I remember watching it, but then I rewatched it for preparing for this because, well, for two things. One, I wanted to get a feeling for what he's like in an interview. And mm. of course, I've watched a lot, but I needed to re- I needed to refresh my memory. And then two, I was like, what was the tech setup that you had? And I was, I mean, I texted you because I was like yeah, studying yeah. it. I was like, okay, so he's got a different camera in front of him. So, but are they all using iPhone cameras? And how did this all sync? Um and you told me all of it, which was very helpful. It's all, it's all, now that we're getting close to WWDC, it all just feels like this giant pit of despair. <laughs> because you've got to do it again. Yeah. And as nervous as I am when I do the show in front of a, a theater audience, I feel like, well, that, it, it can't really go wrong. Like, and I've, somebody's there, a professional camera person is there, and I don't have to worry about the camera. And the audience is there. I just walk out on stage and if I misspeak, I can recover. Whereas I was terrified in this doing the WWDC thing last June where it was like I couldn't really have anybody, you know, for quarantine helping me. And I was so terrified that it wasn't actually recording. Well, this year, hopefully you can, but you did a great job because yeah. I was looking at this. I was like, somebody yeah. must have been there with him. I did have I did have help um, setting it up. But then when we did the show, I was in the room by myself. But it was that we just, Ooh, everybody, me, Federighi and Jaws were all using iPhone cameras. Um, I, you know, I had a real lav mic. But the trick with using the iPhone camera to record it while looking at them on screen on a MacBook was to set the the phone up on a tripod behind the MacBook with just as close as possible to the top of the screen and with just the camera peeking over the top, but also not so low. You don't want to get a little bit of the MacBook in the frame either, right? Well, and then were you wa- you were watching them on some video chat? Because I it looked like everyone was basically looking directly in the camera. So yeah. I was like, maybe they just did this audio. No, and it was, I forget which app we use. I forget if, I know Apple likes to use that like WebEx. Cisco, Cisco WebEx, but I don't think we used WebEx for the show. But whatever we did, what I did was I shrunk the window as small as I could where I could still see the facial expressions of Jaws mm-hmm. and Craig, but put it at the top of the screen. So as I was looking at them, it looked like I was looking as close as possible to the camera. And I have to say, I, I do have to say it turned out as good as I thought it could possibly turn out. Um, yeah, it was really good. I mean, it just felt like everyone was looking at the camera and yeah. the conversation, you know, it was, I mean, yeah. you, it, it, it was also very jealous is what it was like an hour, hour or something. Yeah. And, well, officially an hour. And I think we went like 70 minutes or something like that. Yeah, and like the editing, you know, you could tell it was enough, there was no real editing. It was just kind of cuts back and forth, but right. um, it flowed really nicely. Yeah. Well, that was my friends at Sandwich Video who did the did the editing between the three cameras of footage, and they, the Apple guys cheat because they have a whole crew there to help them out. So they had mm-hmm. multi, they had they had two cameras on each of them. So there were actually, I guess, five cameras of footage, and my friends at Sandwich Video did the editing. And just sort of made it, you know, it's, you know, it looked like a TV show where you don't even notice that it's cutting between different camera angles. Yeah, I mean, that was, um, you know, this huge challenge on our part. My producer, Kenny, I was like, you just got to make me look as good as Apple's going to make Federighi look. So good luck. <laughs> I know. And the other cheat that they have, too, is that they set up in these sunlit hallways, yeah, you know, with please. these full... With so much depth and like... 18-foot 
floor-to-ceiling windows of California sunshine in the genuine architectural marvel that is the Apple Park ring. And I think they've just got a ton of lights on the back. It's just like, yeah, it's not fair. And, you know, he just, he looks great. But, um, I mean, I I think I looked pretty good, too. Kenny did a great job. Yeah, you did. Um, Yeah, Kenny did it. Yeah, it's, um, but yeah, that was super, I was stressed. I was so stressed because... I was like, how am I going to do this in 15 minutes? And it's like, every, you know, it's hard because it was about a topic. And I and I was excited to talk about that topic. But you also have access to somebody where, mm-hmm. like, you want to talk about so many other topics. Like, mm-hmm. like, like on, our, on this sort of podcast I have with you, it's like, how many topics do I talk about a year where I'm like, if I could just ask someone at Apple yeah. on the record why there are no power buttons, you know, or... Yeah. And, and I did. Some things didn't make it to to the edit, but like you know, I just had to get in a couple questions. Like, so do you charge your iPhone? I just want to ask. Like, do you charge your iPhone with a with a cord? Yeah, and he does. He's he a cord, does. He's a cord. He does. He's a cord guy. Yeah. And I was like, I just need to know that for my own, you know, yeah. because like, yeah, wireless charging kind of sucks, right? Like, I mean, we didn't really get into that because I was so yeah. pressed for time. But I was just like, I, you know, so a couple of questions I did throw in. I wasted probably a minute on like some things I was interested in and some of those made it in, but um, yeah, it's tough. It's, I mean, it's, it's, you got to go in with a strategy. I had a very clear strategy. I had my minutes blocked out. I was keeping an eye on the time. You know, I got to keep it moving. I got to get to the stuff that I want to get to. Um, And of course, like it's, you know, that's, I think something that's so, some of the best interviewers, I mean, you watch Oprah and you're just like, it's amazing because it, you know, she has a strategy, you know, she, is so careful about where she's starting and where she's going, but it does, you know, the viewer doesn't know that. No, I, I watched the Oprah interview with, uh, uh, the, the Prince and, uh, what's her name? Markle. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I watched it and I was thinking, it, it was, you know, a couple months ago, I guess at this point, but I was already starting to worry about my WWDC article. And I, I did. And I was like, let me think about this at that sort of study. And I'm like, Oh my God! This is why Oprah is a billionaire. She's I know, yeah. <laughs> I know. She it makes it's like uh, it it's like just like the the butter on a hot piece of bread, and it's just it's like it it just so yeah. smooth, and it just disappears, and it's like oh yeah, but she has a total strategy and agenda here, and she yep. is totally. It seems like they're driving this because she's letting them talk, and and they're saying these things that became major celebrity news worldwide but it's like oh oprah is totally driving this bus yeah i mean interviewing is such an art and yeah. i do a lot of on stage interviewing or pre-pandemic was on stage just like you're saying like you know you're up on stage and that's a very different art than doing it on zoom i mean this yeah. is like you know this video calling interview type of thing is very hard um, it's not like podcasts where there's like this conversation. It, it just, it's very stifling, I find, because you don't have the audience. Mm-hmm. It's somewhere between the like podcast and the stage, but you don't have the audience to really yeah. drive and you don't know what the reactions are. Yeah. Um, and I felt like, you know, I was getting pretty good on stage. We do a lot of these big tech events at the Journal and I get to interview some of the biggest people and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm finding my voice here. I'm really moving. And then we all are under lockdown and I'm like, I'm horrible at this. The the audience reactions in a live audience to me is like, uh, it's like when I, I haven't played, I've, I, 
when I used to play basketball and it's like, it, well, there's a timeout uh, a couple minutes in and I'm already sweaty and thirsty and there's water and I can get, you know, it's like, ah, oh, now I'm thirsty. Whereas doing it without the audience over Zoom or WebEx or whatever is like playing a whole game of basketball without ever getting a glass of water. It's like, it's like those, those audience reactions, laughter or applause or anything like that. It's like, it's like an emotional just slurp of water when you're thirsty. and I, Totally. And you can read it. Like, even yeah. if there isn't that, it's like, okay, people seem really interested in this topic or, you know, th- like, it, it might not inform like a follow-up question, but it definitely can inform like, I should stay here or I should move to something else. Yeah. Um, so, well, yeah. that, I laughed at your interview with with Federighi though because you did work in funny questions. You literally asked him if it's true that Tim Cook calls him Superman. <laughs> I mean, he said no, but I don't believe him. <laughs> and then you, I thought it was very interesting and a, a good use of your time, even though it, you know, the topic was abstracting transparency. And I feel like you know you got four solid minutes of it in. You challenged Craig to do it. He was like, how quickly can you do it? And he was like, I don't know. I think I could do it in six seconds. And it was like six and a half yep. seconds. You you got the stuff, but then you asked about, there was a recent Tim Cook interview where he was asked, do you, you, know, do you think you'll still be CEO of Apple 10 years from now? And he said, well, 10 years is a long time. Probably not. But I have, you know, no plans right now. And, you know, he is, I think, 61 or so, yeah. six, you know, and so that makes sense, you know, that 10 years from now, he'd be 71 and, and you know, he might retire between now and then. Um, but you, He's you 60, yeah. yeah, so you, but you get, you know, locked into thinking Tim Cook is the CEO of Apple, right? And he's been there now since Steve Jobs died in 2011. So he's been there 10 years, you know. And I guess, you know, some somewhere a 15, 16, 17 to 20 year run would be a heck of a run at and a, you know, good, you know, especially for a high pressure job. Um, but then it does. It makes you wonder, well, who's next? And the Jeff Williams would be the well, if they do the same thing before where the COO takes over as CEO, it would be Jeff Williams. But Jeff Williams is like only like one year yeah. younger than Tim Cook. And so you asked, you know, Federighi, would you do it? And I thought his answer was so funny, but also sort of like, hmm. Right. Yeah, like, I'm a big shot, you know, like, yeah, I mean, what did he say? That's insanity. Insanity. He's like, like, ah, that's insanity. Come on, push on, no way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, John Syracuse. He's so charming. He's you know? so He's, super charming. Uh, it, it, and I mean, that's another thing, you know, as you're, you, you have a strategy as the interviewer, but then you know the interviewee has a strategy. Yeah. And they, you know, it was so clear to me. Well, first of all, he's just so good. I mean, he's just such a, well, he's so well-spoken, but also clearly believes in what he's saying. Right. Like, I mean, I can't say how many executives I interview and it's just like, oh, you're reading your marketing points. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that like the first, I mean, it was really 10 minutes on ATT and then I bought some extra time, you know, uh, asking privacy in general and then some of these extra questions. But I mean, he was, you could tell, like prepared, but also 
knew sort of what he wanted to get across. Yeah. I don't think he was ready for you to ask him if he, he might be the next CEO of Apple. So Syracuse on, on the ATP podcast, when that came out, said that he, he thought he would have thought going in that Craig Federighi sees himself as having achieved the pinnacle because he's an en- he is an engineer. Yeah, I mean, he really right. he really gets it. And so, you know, he and he's a software engineer in particular. He's not a hardware person. So as a software person who's interested in in the sort of software Apple makes, how can you go higher than being the head of software, all software for Apple? And that he's already, you know, gotten there. And then like Syracuse has said when he watched your video, it was sort of like, huh, maybe he is thinking about it. Like there was just something about the answer that was just... Uh, well, I think he's a builder, Yeah. right? And so I think that's... You know, Tim Cook, I mean, is an amazing builder, but more of a, this, this vision. It's not the visionary, he's the strategy guy. And you just map it out and it's kind of amazing where he's gone, come from and what he's done with the strategy of the company. But you could get the sense that the next leader would be more of a visionary and a builder of product yeah, like product you, you person could, right like right. The, yeah exactly like the 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 engineer type right let me take one last break here thank our fourth and final sponsor this one's not a new sponsor it's our good friends at you guessed it squarespace i love squarespace this is where you go it's your all-in-one platform for building a website and you could put anything on it a blog a podcast a store a uh, uh a catalog, a portfolio of your work. You can do it all. They have it all built in. You can register your domain name there. You can set up your template. You can tweak your template. You can use it as your CMS. Like, what do you, all right, I set up a blog on Squarespace. How do I add a new post? You do it on Squarespace. It is literally entirely all in one. And why did why do they sponsor the show almost every episode? Because people from this show keep signing up for new Squarespace websites or sending people they know who ask them, what should I do for a new website? They tell them, go to Squarespace and they give them the code from the show, which is squarespace.com slash talk show. You go there at squarespace.com slash talk show. They know you came from here and remember that code talk show. You get 30 days free, no credit card, just 30 days, set up your website. There's no watermark that looks like, oh, this is a freebie test account or something like that. It's the real deal. You get 30 days and then you have to pay if you want to keep it. And you use that same code talk show. You save 10%, order a year, uh, pay for a year up front, use this code, you save 10%. That's like getting uh, over a month free. So my thanks to Squarespace for their continuing support of the show. Uh, last, last licks here, last topics. I'm curious if you, I know you had a recent column that I somehow missed and then you pointed out to me. I was like, oh, this is exactly what I needed to know. The air tags versus tile. Oh yeah. Air tags. That feels like 10 years ago, but it was Doesn't just, it? It, feels- it was just like two or three weeks ago that I had a drug dog in my house. <laughs> this is just another day. Are, what do you use? Do you, uh, Marco and I talked about this last week. It's like, I just, I, I don't know if it's a pandemic thing because I'm still like not really going a lot of places. I haven't traveled. It's like now I'm like going back to restaurants and stuff, but it's like, uh, I don't have anything yet to put a tracker on. I do because, so I have started going back to the office a bit. We shoot some of the videos there and mm-hmm. I've been doing some conferences from there. So my work ID, I constantly lose. Mm. 
And I mean, even just finding it after months of not being to the office. So my, it's on my work ID, it's on my keys, mm-hmm. and I put one in my wallet. Right. And you can't even use it. I'm sure you can't even get in the door to say, <laughs> I, I lost my work ID. Like, you need that work ID. Yeah, exactly. And like, I mean, there's people there, but, you know, I just have my yeah. license and get this and get that security yeah. thing. Um, but also I lose my keys a lot. Like, I don't lose them, but I mm-hmm. just misplace them. I feel like I, I, I don't, I am not a keys loser. And I don't know why, because I lose all sorts of other things. I lose my Apple Pencil all the time. God, it, it, I would uh, instantly, instant, you know, $200 for a new Apple Pencil with the U1 chip so that I could make yeah, it Yeah, that beep, doesn't make any sense. And I could do it. I, I would just buy, and, and they're like, no other features. It just, it's just the same Apple Pencil has no new features, no extra resolution, no, no higher frame rate, but you can use Find My to find it with precision. It would be an insta buy for me because. And by the way, I think it is total BS that they didn't put it in the remote. I, I saw the I saw the comment from I uh, forget which the name of the executive, but that it's too that it's now too big to lose. That is mm. that is like that that engineer or whoever the executive does not have a kid. Is let me tell you that. <laughs> well, well, My son is constantly hiding the remotes. I asked about that in a briefing after the event. I was like, just double checking. The, the remote doesn't have a U1 chip and they acted, it, it, and it's the typical Apple reaction where it's like their action was like, it was as though I asked, hey, does it work in a, in a complete vacuum? Like if I took it into outer space, you know, like, you know, they're, you know, like a totally random, weird question. Like we did not build this to go into a complete vacuum. We don't, we don't know. You know, where that's what they acted like when I asked about the U1 chip. They're like, oh, who, who would ever need that for a skinny little remote control? <laughs> and it's like, no, I think that's a good question. And it's interesting because I feel like they got asked enough where they came up with a new answer. And instead of yeah. instead of acting like it's a crazy question, they're like, oh, nobody, it, this is a big remote, so it'll never get So, lost. yeah, it was an interview with Mobile Syrup and Apple VP Tim Twerdal. Yeah. Twerdal? I think that's um, how you pronounce it. Yeah, it says it's too thick to easily lose in the couch, and that's, we don't need to. We're super excited about what we're doing with the one. And yeah, with the changes we've made to the Siri remote, including making it a bit bigger, bigger so it's thicker, so it won't fall in your couch cushions as much. That it's yeah. I mean, how, how old is your son? He's three and a half. He's turning four next uh, two weeks. Yeah, so he takes the remote all over the place. So it's it's so well, funny. But he also is hiding things. Like he thinks it's funny to hide. He hid my wife's engagement ring the other day. Oh my god. Oh yeah, my. I'm like, we're like, where is it? He's like, I'm not telling. Oh. Oh, you know, it's like, this is all, it's like hide, everything is hide and seek. <laughs> I, I don't I should have done the that. whole video with him if I like wanted to show his face a lot, but yeah. <laughs> you know what? It's only funny because I presume he eventually revealed the location. He did. All right. He did. Yeah. No, we used to have a problem with Jonas when he was that age, even younger. I think it was just like from like as soon as he could walk where he wanted the the TV remote. And he, you know, he didn't even know how to use it, but he, he could see that that was the thing to have, right? If we're in front of the TV, the thing you want is the remote and he'd want it. And then it would be like, okay, you can have it. And then it's like, you turn your head and, you know, two and three year olds just like to wander off and guess what he wanders off with the remote. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, we have three Apple TV remotes in our living room, Right. two old Siri remotes. 
actually I have four in the house, but two old Siri, the, the, the trackpad one, plus that function one that I mentioned before. Right. Because like, we don't ever know where they're going. <laughs> and it's funny too, because when Jonas was that age, our remote was the TiVo remote, the big P we still oh, have a TiVo. Yeah. We still use it, but the big peanut TiVo remote it, it can wander off, but it certainly is nowhere near as hideable as an Apple remote. Like, you can't slip it somewhere. You know, it's a big three-dimensional peanut shape. So, you know, there were only so many places he could go with it. But, you know, putting it in the toy box, there there you go. How you find that? You know, good luck. Right, right. But overall, I mean, I, I really like the AirTags, and I think the... The tile conversation is an interesting one. I know you had mentioned in your post, you know, one of the reasons, yeah. like, you know, I think it was in context of why they may not go into the Find My ecosystem or use that platform. Um, and I did have a couple of discussions with Tile and uh, even with the CEO right before I was finishing the column. And it's very clear, like, they just feel like they'd have to give up so much control and yeah. they don't they don't want to do that. Yeah, they're not just selling the trackers. They are also building their own network and that the, you know, participating in Find My is completely contrary to that. I'm not sympathetic to their anti-competitive arguments about Apple because I don't think, I don't think it's wrong for the platform owner like Apple to build this into the platform because I think it belongs there. And I think it's always the case with innovators, like people think of innovative ideas, but if the innovative idea belongs in the parent product and it's going to be popular, it's going to end up built in. I mean, Benedict Evans has tweeted this several times, but it used to be, he always tweets up this old ad from like 1983, where there was this product you could buy for $300. It was a software product that would let you print your Lotus spreadsheets in landscape, because by default, Lotus only printed them vertical. And you could print them in landscape. And then if you had like a dot matrix printer, it could be really wide, right? It could just keep you know, spewing across, you could make a really super wide spreadsheet. Um, that was, that was their product. Well, guess what? Eventually every spreadsheet, every, everything that you can ever print with added a little button that you can switch between landscape and horizontal, right? And of course it got built in, but when, when Lotus built it in, this company was like, Hey, you're ripping off our idea, you know? Uh, so I'm, I'm sympathetic. Yeah. I'm sympathetic, but I don't think, but on the other hand, I don't blame Tile for not participating in Find My because I do see that strategically they want to own their own network of, of location. Yeah. And I, I mean, I've been thinking a lot about this and I'm writing a piece pre WWDC about, you know, the, the Apple garden, the walled garden and, you know, really thinking about what's the harm, right? Mm -hmm. like what, it, because we've been hearing a lot about it. We heard about it through the Epic case. And certainly there's a lot of, you know, uh, when you think about the developer situation around the app store there, that's, that is a, that is harm a much sometimes to consumers, but certainly to, to developers. And that's a conversation that is, I, in some ways I view as separate. But when you think about that Apple keeps building some of this into its own platforms, whether it be some of the services, whether it be some of the software features, whether it be accessories that can work better, like what is what ends up being the consumer harm? Like what is bad for us, right? And um, I don't want to give away too much of the the video, but like <laughs> I may have found myself at a garden, and it is beautiful in there, right? Like, and so I've been thinking. I mean, I'd, I'd have ask you. I mean, what do, what do you feel? Is it what is the what is bad for us? I think it's complicated. I think we could do another two hour show just about that. 
But I think that the key thing is that sometimes uh, technologists forget that more there there are always trade offs with power and more, right? And so it is great that on the Mac, you can just download stuff from anywhere and you can just go to Google and get a copy of Chrome and it's this entirely alternate browser with its own browser engine and you don't have to get it. You can't get it through the App Store because that's against the App Store rules. Even on the Mac, you can't go through the App Store if you're uh, doing the stuff that Chrome does, but you can just install it on your Mac and that's great. And you can't do that on the iPhone. The only way that they can have Chrome is to go through the App Store and they have to use Apple's WebKit engine. And there are limits to that. And there are features that the real Chrome has on the desktop that Chrome can't have on iOS because of that. And you're missing out on those features. And technologists see, well, then that's, therefore that's bad and Apple's being bad. But on the other hand, uh, there's benefits to it where you cannot install a browser that's going to chew up your battery the way Chrome has on and off over the years, right? There's benefits mm-hmm. to it. And, and Chrome does this thing that they run in the background to update Chrome. And there was a whole thing where Lauren Brichter found that the background mm-hmm. agent was, was like crazily running up the CPU. You, you, the fact that you can't do anything on iOS to mess up your iOS device is a huge feature. It's a huge, huge feature, and it's the thing that that people learned, especially on Windows, don't install software, because if you install software, you're going to mess up your computer. And the fact that you can install anything you want from the App Store, and it'll never mess up your computer, and if you don't like it, you just tap and hold on it, hit the X button, and every trace of it is gone, and there's nothing left behind that technically possible to be running in the background, that's a feature. So that's that that to me is the the positive aspects of being in a walled garden, right? And I guess that's what you're getting at is that technologists say walled garden and they always mean it as bad. It's bad and limiting, you're in a walled garden, it's not that's good. That's right. And no, but actually it can be really nice and peaceful yeah. and calm and safe. Well, you now you're getting now you're getting you're taking my piece for next week. So <laughs> I will come back on the show and then oh, right. just to bring it also full circle, I just was rapidly did you hear my uh, yes. magic keyboard typing? Yeah. I'm taking notes on what you're saying for my piece. There you go. So, See? There you go. That's great. See, now, now listen, we got to keep this in on the show. We got to keep those keyboard noises in because then everybody who listens to my show... When they see your video, they'll see that's where the ideas came from. Anyway, yeah, Joanna. we shot yesterday. I will say we shot yesterday. I have a sunburn. Um, Ooh, also isn't that, really that allergies? Is I it? actually made it through this whole show without telling you how high I am on allergy drugs. <laughs> and I don't not making you think I'm like I don't a think crazy person. I don't think there's any difference from the regular Joanna, to be honest. There really isn't. All right. really Joanna, always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks thanks for being here. Everybody, of course, can read your work at the Wall Street Journal and uh, on Twitter, at Joanna Stern. Yeah, and Instagram. I'm really trying to build the Instagram. Oh. I keep saying, like, I'm trying to build the Instagram, but then I never post on Instagram. Yeah. So please, come follow me on Instagram where, on, where I will never post. And you're the same username there? Same, Joanna yeah. Stern. All right, there you go. Thank you so much. Thank you.